Good morning, everyone. I'm looking around the place and uh, seeing a bunch of new faces. Uh, my name's AJ Evenson, and I'm a uh, my wife and I. We've been regular attenders here at the Nelson Covenant Church since we moved here about uh, about a year and a half ago. Um, if you're if you're new here, I see there's a few new faces. Um, this is uh, um, summer break, obviously, so our regular pastor Jeff is not here. And uh, so what we've been doing the past few weeks is we've had a series of guest speakers and topics. And uh, so if you're new I, uh, or you're just checking us out or you're just here visiting, I absolutely encourage you to come back uh, next week and in the weeks to come to, uh, to listen to Pastor Jeff as he uh, continues to uh, work through the book of Ephesians. So what we, uh, what we do here uh, in the Nelson Covenant Church is we open, open up a book of the Bible and, and Jeff has been working through the book of Ephesians kind of on a verse by verse and chapter by chapter basis. So the last year he's been uh, really focusing on how we engage in spiritual relationships and how we walk in harmony uh, with one another, how we walk in victory and how, how we walk in strength. And so summer has been a bit uh, long, and if you're like me, you've, you've spent a lot of time out in the heat. And what I'm going to do is just throw up on the screen just a quick refresher of where Jeff has taken us over the past, I'm going to say, 14 months. Uh, so in the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters from chapter 1 to 3 are basically just doctrines. And they talk about our spiritual possessions in Christ, our position in Christ, and that uh, the mystery of Christ is that the Gentiles are, are heirs and were included as well. The last three chapters of Ephesians are our responsibilities in Christ. So it's more the applications. It's, it's what we do. It's how we do it. So how do we walk in unity? How do we walk in purity? How do we walk in harmony? Husbands and wives, parents and kids, uh, masters, servants, employers, employees, that sort of thing. And where Jeff has... Uh, has ended just before we went on vacation was was helping us to understand how to be prepared and how to walk in victory and how to stand. And so, as we've heard both from Jeff and from the speakers uh, over the past few weeks, the, the question is why? Why why should we walk worthy? Why should we be intentional in the actions that we do and the decisions that we make? Why should we be seeking out and engaging in solid spiritual relationships? Why should, we, why should we be diligent? Why should we be on guard? Why should we find the narrow road and stay on it when the road that's broad seems so much easier and seems like a lot more fun? Ultimately, why can't I just say the sinner's prayer, get my hell insurance, and then live the way that I want to? That, that seems like that would be the most gratifying, the easiest. So the message today that, that I've got is, is, I guess I would consider it complementary to what Jeff has been teaching us in the book of Ephesians. It's come from me personally doing some seeking and some searching, and as I've been working my way through the book of Hebrews, I, I really found there was a lot of um, ties. And if you're a regular here, you know that every month, usually every month, Jeff shares what his monthly heart, soul, mind, and strength uh, goals are for the month. And so when I started doing that several months ago, I, I found that I couldn't do it monthly. Monthly was just a bit too, too often. 
So I broke it down into quarterly, and what I wanted to know was how do I walk in a worthy manner? How, how do I know what I should be reading, what I should be studying, what I should be participating in? How, how, do I, how do I know, how do I decide, how do I guide myself in the decisions that I make and decide where I invest my time? I know that God's word says, here's what you should do, here's the template, but, but that's in my head, and, and what, what I need to know is how do, I, how do I get that into my heart? I need to get the why from my head down into my heart. So as I was studying Hebrews 12, a few months ago, it was a sunny day, just laying out on the grass in our yard. Um, it really, it really clicked uh, to me. I, I kind of was able to um, understand what the Book of Ephesians was saying and and and, and how it re- related to me in uh, just a, a deeper, more meaningful way. So the message today is not going to be like Jeff's. Uh, typically. Um, Jeff will kind of, he'll pick a passage, he'll work through it, and then there's an application at the end. Uh, Today you'll see, as we look at Hebrews 12, the first two verses, it's actually a series of applications that are going to lead to the why, and hopefully lead to why something needs to get from my head down into my heart. So the passage that we're going to look at today is Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And just as we get into it, just a brief context or connection, what's the connection between Hebrews and Ephesians? Uh, The brief outline is uh, the writer of Hebrews in chapters 1 through 8 basically discusses and proves the the superiority of Christ. In uh, chapters 8 through 10, he talks about the superiority of the new covenant over the old covenant. And then from chapters 10 verses 19 onwards, that's where the writer really starts to... um, encourage and exhort uh, believers to draw near to God, to hold fast, and to run. So when we look at what, uh, what chapter 11 had, um, chapter 11 ended with what we would call the heroes of the faith. Um, it's a list of, of early believers who, uh, who held, on to, uh, held on to God and exercised faith in a very powerful way. So starting there, um, Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So the first how, or the first application is, when we look at the text, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the first application is we need to examine the lives of those who have gone before us, those who have exercised faith. Several several years ago, my grandpa Vince and my grandma Blanche uh, both passed away. And so is, is, is that what this text is saying, is that they're... They're up in heaven, and they're looking down on me, and they're cheering me on and, and rooting for me. Um, no, we can, we can conclude that's, that's not what, uh, what the passage is saying. We know that uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. So if you have a choice between being in heaven and just hanging and chilling and doing awesome stuff with Jesus versus looking down at me, stumbling and fumbling my way through life, that's, that's not what you're going to choose. You're, you're absolutely going to choose Jesus. Um, so the writer of Hebrews has spent that last chapter 
showing people who exercised faith and great men and women of, of the past and, and the difficult circumstances that they were put in. And it's interesting because some of them lived lives of great poverty and others of great abundance. Um, but with each, with each one of them, there was something that was unique about them, something that was different from those that were around them, something that was inward but that became outwardly visible to those who, uh, who interacted with them on a daily basis. And that thing, was, that thing was faith. So when we talk about the why, why should I walk in a worthy manner in spite of opposition, we should be able to look at godly examples of people who have exercised faith, and we should be able to see something unique. We should be able to see something special, something otherworldly, something that we, that we don't have, something that's attractive, that's fascinating. And when you consider the people who exercise faith, how they've been asked to um, lay down their businesses, um, put up with... Uh, intense public scrutiny and pressure, um, losing everything they have, some of them even laying down their lives, um, it's that kind of a testimony that indicates that they have, they have something, that they're able to exercise their faith in a way that is, that is attractive, that they have a genuine sense of faith, that they're committed to something and that they've left a legacy, something that, that I should want to imitate as they imitate Christ and that I should want to pass that on to... Uh, to my kids and to those around me. So that's the, that's the first application. The second application, when we look at the text, says, let us lay aside every weight. So the application is we need to lay aside those weights or those things that are hindering us in our lives. So it means that once I've looked around at those who have exercised faith, now it's time to look inward or internal and to focus on myself. So, so what does it mean to lay aside? What it means is that I need to put down, to dispose of, to cast off, to get rid of something that I'm accumulating, something that I'm carrying with me, something even that I'm wearing. There's something that I have that is encumbering me that's not helping me. So when you say, well, what, what are those weights? Well, those weights are anything that, that slows me down or that prevents me from accomplishing my purpose or my mission or or completing the race that's, that's in front of me. So to use an analogy, if I'm a long distance runner and I've entered a race, why have I entered it except to either win it or to win a certain um, portion uh, of the race or even if it's just to compete with myself or against myself? If I've entered the race, I'm, I'm committed. And let's say I'm running along, and as I round a corner, suddenly there's a bunch of toonies and $20 bills just laying in the middle of the road. Am I really going to stop and pick those up? No, of course not. Because if I do, there's two things. One, it's slowing me down, right? I'm, I'm stopping my time. And number two, the added weight of the bills and, and the toonies are going to slow me down and encumber me for the rest of my race. They're going to slow my time down. The fact that I would even consider stopping indicates that I'm allowing my personal, my civilian life to, to get in the way of my performance. So this holds true in the Christian life as well. Um, these, these weights are not necessarily bad things. A lot of times we think, oh, that's, that's sin or that's bad. It doesn't have to be bad. It just means that 
it's not the best. Sometimes weights can be good things, but they're good things that have taken a little too much hold of our lives, and they can weigh us down and encumber us. If they're left unchecked, they can tend to distract us and take us away from something that's better and ultimately the best thing. And let's be honest, the enemy of our soul would want nothing better than for us to be distracted, to be busy, to be lukewarm in a way that we're not out evangelizing, living our lives with joy, and and spreading the gospel. So in order to move past the good into the better and ultimately get the best, we need to hold everything loosely, and we need to allow the Holy Spirit to control our lives and the things that are in our hands, and only the Holy Spirit gets to decide what stays and what goes. So the third application, when we look at the text, is, it says, and the sin which so easily ensnares us. So number three is, I need to lay aside the sin that I live with, or that we could say that I, that I play with. Um, it says, so we'd lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and that means exactly what it says. It means that I'm prone to allowing certain sins in my life to when I look at the, the garden, the soil of my life, that I say, oh, you know, that little thistle in the corner, it's, it's really not that pokey, and it looks kind of cute, it's kind of green, it's growing quite well. Uh, I'm just going to allow it there, right? I'm not going to root it up, I'm not going to um, plant something different. It means that I'm not taking sin seriously and that I'm not allowing conviction to do its proper work in my life. It, it means that I'm intentionally tuning out what James says in chapter 1, 14 and 15, where it says, But each one is tempted, and when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. So even though those, those little tiny weeds or those little sins may feel gratifying to the flesh or may feel like, you know what, they're not that big of a deal, it's really not a big deal, um, it always ends in death. And if you remember Jeff from a few months ago when we worked through this passage in Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, um, it says that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So as long as I'm feeding and watering and caring for these sins, as long as I'm not actively doing something with them, just allowing them to grow, it means that I'm, I'm snared, I'm slowed down, I'm, I'm not free, I'm not as effective as I could be with the tools that I have in my hands. And really what it means is that I'm trying to see how close I can get. How close can I get to the fire without getting burned, right? If it happens to everyone else, it's, it's not going to happen to me. You know, when I, was, when I was young, when I was a young teenager, I, I took up smoking. And it was one of those things where, in the whole, you know, teenage angst and rebellion and everything else, um, I thought it was cool and I thought it would make me cool at school. And, you know, I found that it led me into bondage, right? That as cool as I thought smoking was, as cool as it was having friends, um, it impacted my physical performance when I played football. Didn't have as much, didn't have as much wind, um, didn't have as much endurance. And, and I found that it also led to addiction. Like even though I wanted to stop, even though it didn't feel good, I couldn't stop. 
And as I grew older in life, and eventually I met uh, Faith, and, uh, and we got married, you know, I really, I wanted to stop. I, I really did. I wanted to turn away from smoking. But the issue was that I wouldn't turn to anything else. You know, I, I, I wanted to be in control of my life, and I didn't want to give control over to God. I just wanted to be able to deal with it, stop smoking by myself, and, uh, and just, just deal with it. But that left a vacuum, right? So because I wasn't willing to trust the Lord, because I wasn't willing to give up fears and anxieties, I always turned back to, to cigarettes. And it was only when that kind of revelation came to me that I was able to slowly but systematically walk away from smoking and realize that, that I had, it wasn't an addiction problem, but that I had a sin problem. I had a fear and an anxiety problem that I needed to deal with. I had a control issue that I needed to give over to the Lord so that I could stop and get rid of that crutch that was in my life. So, to get to the why, the why of life, I need to get serious about sin. I need to lay it down, get rid of it. I need to turn away from it. And then we get to application number four. It says, the text says, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So, number four is what do I need to do? I need to start running. So, now that I've dropped the weights and I've left the sin that's been encumbering me, I need to be honest with myself. You know, I've gone my whole life, or quite a, quite a bit of time anyways, carrying weights and being entangled in sin. I need to be realistic about who I am and where I'm at. And I have to understand that my sinful nature has totally been my master. That old man has totally been my master for a number of years. And I can't just expect that I'm just going to be a perfect athlete tomorrow and able to quickly just run and, and have the endurance that I need. I'm going to, it's just going to be natural. I'm going to look down at my hands and say, oh, I've got those weights again or those, those things that I'm picking up. And I'm going to look down at my feet and see those entanglements that I've been in. It's natural for those things that have been a part of my life for so long to continue to be my, a part of my life. It, it's going to take a lot of active intentionality to continue to purge those and get rid of those and with the power of the Holy Spirit walk away from those to something else. So what do I need? So I, I need to be honest with myself about my current state, about where I've been and about where I want to go. I need to know what my weaknesses are. And I need to start setting up some accountability partners in my life. So if you want a great accountability partner, if you've got a spouse, your spouse will absolutely give you a point blank uh, determination and assessment of areas where you struggle and the areas where you're falling short. Um, and they have a vested interest as well. But if you're not married, then, then find someone that, uh, that you can be involved in, that you will be accountable with, that you can be vulnerable with. I, I happen to be in, uh, in a, a small group, a leadership group with a series of men, and I, I find it very encouraging to share in their struggles and their sharing in mine, and we encourage and exhort one another, and I, I really feel um, it provides an element of, of growth for me and just, just having men um, spurring me on and encouraging me on is, is such, a, such a treasure. So back to where we're at. So I, I look, I'm ready. So I've, I've set up some accountability partners. I've done some things. I think I'm ready to start this race. But now I look at the itinerary. You can call that reading the Bible. But the itinerary for the race 
suddenly seems a little more daunting than I had thought. I thought it was just going to be an easy race. I realize it's a lot more difficult. And I know that I'm not ready. I know that I've not been training intentionally. I've not been eating the right diet. Um, and something starts to happen. What, what starts to happen is fear starts creeping in and anxiety and doubt because I realize that I'm inadequate for what I've been called to do or what I'm being asked to do or what I think that I've committed to doing. So what I don't know is I don't know how to pace myself. I don't know how to find the right rhythm. How am I going to prevent cramps and dehydration and blisters, things that, that my body is not prepared for? I realize that this race that I'm being asked to run is going to cost me something. It's, it's going to require a level of endurance that I don't have, and there's going to be there's going to be pain and discomfort. And, you know, two of our pastors, Pastor Jeff and Pastor Rick, they both work out at, uh, at uh, VO2. And, you know, for me to expect that I'm just going to stroll in there one Tuesday morning when they're working out and, and watch Jeff and Rick throw up a few hundred pounds on, on a bar and just expect that I'm just going to walk in there and, and bench that myself is, is completely ridiculous. What, what I need is I need a partner who recognizes who I am, where I'm at, and is willing to walk with me, run with me uh, down this race. Someone who can help me find the right rhythm, find the right pace, and encourage me so that I don't quit. But who? Who would that be? Well, that takes us to application number five. So our text, Hebrews 12.2, now says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So who else, who else could it be but Jesus? The writer of Hebrews has spent the last 11 chapters indicating how vastly superior Jesus is to prophets, to angels, to Moses, to Aaron. Who could be a better running mate for me, a better partner than him? Who could understand me any better? After all, he endured more than anyone else. He healed more. He forgave more. He loved more. In fact, he, he loved enough to suffer the just wrath of the Father that ultimately um, cost him his life. And so that's where, that's where we get to today, is that the question of why. Why did, he do, why did he do that? Why did he do what he did? And why should I follow him? Why should I follow after him? Why should I walk in that worthy manner? Well, let's look at what Jesus did and, and see why. So the why says, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus willingly chose to endure the scorn and the rejection of countless individuals, um, as well as the ridicule and the shame of a public and a painful crucifixion. And the Bible calls it something like this. It says, the joy. It calls that the joy. Um, so what, what is that joy? The Bible that, that we have in our hands, all 66 books, you could basically um, distill that down into the following words. Uh, creation, prophecy, virgin birth, earthly ministry, crucifixion, ascension, rapture, his second coming, the millennial reign or his kingdom, and then eternity. That's what the joy is. And so just to, just to figure out what his part is and what our response is, there's two scriptures I just want to put up on the screen. 
Um, Ephesians 5, 25 to 27 describes what Jesus did for us. It says, Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, and that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And then our response is found in John 15, 7 to 11. I won't read the whole thing, but I just want to focus on those words that you see uh, in bold there. It's abiding, it's asking, it's bearing fruit, it's the Father being glorified because of that, it's abiding in his love. And verse 11 ends with Jesus' words saying, These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So his joy is in us finding him and choosing him, choosing him, abiding in him, bearing fruit, glorifying the Father, and then being in true communion, true love with him for all eternity. Have you ever watched, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but on YouTube there's these epic domino courses, I'll call them, where they will fill rooms like 10 times the size of the sanctuary and then they'll start one domino and you'll see it go one way and then it'll trigger something that goes another way well another one it's it's all over the place it looks com like complete chaos and a lot of times when you look at it they'll they'll give you a camera view like a bird's eye view from up above and you look at it and you'll say i i don't i don't really understand what's going on i don't really see the the picture but as it comes to a conclusion, you see some dominoes going left to right, some go right to left, and then suddenly that picture comes into focus. This is precisely what Jesus kicked off at creation. He, um, he has set up this, this course. He has set up all of history with a termination, with a completion date and a completion time, with a completed amount of people that will be in eternity sharing uh, sharing eternity with him. And there's absolutely no question that based on what he's done and the salvation that he's provided, that he is coming back and that he is returning for his bride. So that's the joy. That's the why of Jesus. He has started something and he alone has the power to accomplish it and to complete it. And there's nothing that's going to stop it. And what has, he, what has he started? You could call it a marriage offer, a proposal, a wedding. So there is going to be a wedding, and that's absolutely unquestionable. It's going to be a big one. It's going to be the biggest one in all of the world, in all of the universe, and it's definitely going to happen. At creation, he set up that domino course, and the first domino got knocked over, and now he sits at the right hand of the throne of God, waiting for the rest to fall. We, we don't know how many are left to fall, but we know that as we look around both that prophetic prophecy uh, as well as just current events in our life right now, we can see those dominoes are falling with regularity. It looks chaotic right now, but he knows what that final picture looks like and when the last one falls. So up until now, we've been talking about Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 through the lens of running a race. And, and I think what we need to do now is just consider when we think of what Jesus, what he did for us, what he endured, and why he endured it, and what his ultimate joy and motivation was, 
we need to rebrand what that race actually is. I find it, for me, tough to relate joy with something painful like running or something that's a race, right? So whether it's, uh, you know, my wife has gotten into swimming out in the lake and I don't find that, I don't find that fun at all. She goes out and goes out with some of the neighbors and it's quite miserable, I think. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to discard that race analogy and we're going to use a better one, something that I feel is a little bit more, uh, a little bit more fitting. And what that is would, is the analogy that we are racing to prepare for a wedding, for your wedding, for my wedding. Um, and whether you and I are old or whether we're young, whether we're married, whether we're uh, divorced or whether we're young and we're not married yet and we're just yearning, waiting for that, the right person to come into our lives. When you think about the why, the is it worth it, is it worth it preparing for marriage? Think about what true love feels like. Think about the butterflies. Think about, think about just why. Why in general? Why do, we, why do we stare at our significant other? Why do we want to spend so much time with them? Why do we dream of a lifetime with them? Why do we get envious when they're not returning our calls or our texts um, or, or they're spending time with other people when they should be spending time with us? It's because we as humans were made for love. We all have this, this God-shaped hole in our hearts that he has made us for love. And, and we relate to love both on a human-to-human -human basis, but also on a human-to-God basis. We've, eternity has been set in our hearts. And we desire it. And so anytime you read race in the Bible, I, I, just, I encourage you to think of it as a race to prepare for your wedding. And if you know that there's a wedding coming, you don't know the exact date, but you know there's a season coming, of course you're going to want to have your wedding attire sorted, right? You're going to want to know what you're wearing. Are you buying it? Are you sewing it yourself? Are you renting it? Do you have the right shoes? Um, you want to know that you've got the venue sorted and it's paid for and it's yours and that you're not going to be surprised if someone else is there on the day that you show up. You're going to want to know that it's decorated properly, that the food is in place. And you're also going to want to have the invites sent out. You're going to want to have as many people as you could possibly tell and know and who you enjoy their company and their presence with, whether they're family or friends, you're going to want to know that they all got invited and that they're all coming. You want this to be the greatest day of your life, and you don't want to disappoint your future spouse or anyone else that's coming to attend that wedding. You want it to go off well and without a hitch. So is it worth it to walk worthy, to walk in a worthy manner, to race in a way that you're prepared for this wedding? Well, absolutely, because for those of us who are married, we know that that's the single greatest day in your life. That's like the pinnacle of life thus far to that date. And what's going to be different with Jesus is that that's going to be the first best day of your life, followed by every day thereafter being the best day of your life. It's going to be a 
a continuous string of all eternity always being the best day of your life. When I think about the opposite, when I think about, well, do I have to be prepared? Do I have to walk worthy? Do I really have to prepare for the wedding? Um, you know, if, if I don't, if I don't walk worthy, if I'm not prepared, really what I'm saying is that Jesus isn't totally my true love. He's not really that important. Um, he's not my lifelong partner, soulmate. You know, I've got other interests, other commitments. I'm, I'm, I'm a busy guy. I'm an important guy, right? What, what that leads to is that I don't anticipate his return and that I'm not looking forward to that wedding day. I won't be prepared. Um, I won't be in the right mental state. And I really won't be grateful for what I've been given. So as we conclude today, those first five hows or those applications, what I want to do is, is basically rethink each one of those hows or those applications and rebrand them or reimagine them um, in light of a wedding preparation rather than a race. So the first how was examine the lives of believers who have gone on before us. What we want to do there is evaluate those who have gone before us, who've left a really good example of what a heart full of good soil looks like, who were wearing the right garments, who had enough oil in their vessels, who were prepared for Jesus' imminent return, and whose lives indicated that they were, they, were, they were looking forward to a wedding. They were looking forward to Jesus coming back. The second how is laying aside the weights. So what I need to do is I need to lay aside anything that's preventing me from being ready for his imminent return. So we know that all things are lawful, but not everything is helpful for me. What I need is I need to pray that the Holy Spirit would remove, recalibrate, or, or recommission things that are already in my life right now. Um, holding things with open hands and allowing him to take things out and put things back is, uh, is key to me being prepared and ready and making sure that I'm living this life as a sojourner, not as a homeowner. This earth is not my home. We're just passing through. And we need to hold on to things lightly and loosely. The third how is I need to lay aside the sin that I live with. And, and this is quite simple. You know, we, we just need to stop romanticizing and courting other loves and other lovers. If, if I'm betrothed to someone, that means I'm committed to them. And that means that I'm not looking at other options, right? I'm not shopping around saying, uh, maybe that'd be a good fit, or oh, I hadn't, hadn't considered that. Maybe that's an even better option. Once I've made the decision to, to follow Jesus, and I know there's a wedding, I need to stop looking and start preparing. Number four is I need to pick up the pace and start running. So what I need to do is I need to start getting my affairs in order. I need to seek, I need to serve, I need to look for opportunities to prepare myself and to prepare others for my life, for my wedding, and for their wedding as well. When he shows up, I want to be ready, right? I, I don't want to be, you know, thinking, living with a casual life, a, ca a casual basis, saying, maybe he'll show up eventually, but in the meantime, I'm just going to sit around in my underwear, in my house, you know, drinking a beer, hoping that he doesn't show up soon because I want to live this life until a certain point, right? Really what I want to do is I want to be ready. I want to be wearing those wedding clothes. 
I want to be ready that when the knock on the door comes and the door opens and that limousine is there and the whole wedding, the whole bridal party is there, that I'm ready to just walk out the door straight into um, his eternal presence. How number five, the last one says, look unto Jesus. So we need to be looking for him. We need to be waiting expectantly for him. We know that he is coming back. And he knows what eternity holds, and he wants you and I to be there with him. All of this is like a, it's like a clock winding down. It's all winding down to a point where we spend eternity with him. He has forgotten nothing. And I guess it's, it's worth noting that if you and I feel that this is taking a really long time, like, like that was 2,000 years ago, this is taking a very long time, remember that this wedding is a king's wedding, right? And there is nothing that a king does simply or foolishly or haphazardly or sloppily. Everything has to be perfect. And all the guests, all the guests have to be invited. And they all have to have responded. And that wedding doesn't start until all the affairs all the arrangements, all the decorations are done and they're completed. And what we need to remember is that our lives are like, are like a camera flash in comparison to the sun, right? The longevity and the luminosity of the sun. That's, that's what eternity is going to be like. So when we talk about it's taking a long time, 2,000 years is taking a long time, or my life thus far, it's taking a long time, he hasn't come back yet. Um, Eternity is much longer. It's longer than long. And when he comes, the sheer extravagance of this wedding is going to make it all worthwhile. Each one of us will be reassured that walking in a worthy manner has absolutely been worth it. Every, every trial, every tribulation, every sacrifice, every lost friendship, every strained family relationship, all of it will have been worth it. And what we need to be just encouraged and exhorted to today is it's worth it. And we just need to be patient and to persevere and endure and know that he's coming back. So I'll invite the worship team up as, uh, and I'll just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to just prepare ourselves for this upcoming wedding. And, Lord, just help us to seek and to serve you and to walk in a worthy manner. Lord, help us to be ready for your imminent return. And uh, we just look forward to it so much. We just thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, AJ. Please stand and sing with us our closing song.